Black Christmas. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Hello? Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. Starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Welcome back, children. Welcome back. Boys and girls, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these are, are the movies that made us gay. Yay! Welcome to the show. Welcome to our very first Christmas edition. Yes. We've got a really great show for you today, everybody. Yeah, so like Pete said, this is the beginning of our mini Christmas se- uh, series. We're yes, not going to have the whole month full of Christmas movies, but here, this is going to be the start of it. Yes, indeed. And yeah, and also a very special episode because this is our Friday the 13th episode. <gasps> and what Scary. more perfect of a Christmas Friday the 13th movie than Black Christmas from 1974. Oh my goodness. We I just watched it. it with our guest, Michael Verratti. Hello, hello. Welcome oh, to the yay. show. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. And... So we just met you like not ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, here but we I are. feel like yeah. But I always knew from Instagram, and we saw you moderate uh, Outfest for Scream Queen oh, yeah. that you have a big horror following, and it's kind of part of your repertoire. So I figured you would be a perfect guest for Black Christmas. Well, I'm honored. I love this movie. I have a long history of uh, appreciating this film. Um, to me, this is the pinnacle. Of holiday horror. Yes, for sure. So I'm very excited to talk to you about and it. I, and I wanted to do it for this show because I discovered Black Christmas from college, and whenever I talk about it with people, they either don't know what it is, or they love it, and usually the people that love it are gay men. So <laughs> it's just sort of a, a random genre movie that I think gay men have a special place in their heart for and it has just a big cult following behind it too right i mean so. we could do whole episodes on uh, or whole podcasts on gay men and horror movies yes yeah the horror genre and what draws us to it and well in and fact I, I do <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about that later yes uh but no i think that it is interesting um this movie is so foundational for the genre in a number of ways it is sort of the proto slasher it comes out four years mm-hmm. before halloween mm-hmm. we can see john carpenter pulling influence on that not just from a holiday horror but sort of with the emergence of the whole slasher subgenre but also too it is it is the leader of the pack in terms of holiday horror which has become its yeah. own sort of thing because from from black christmas we see things like silent night deadly night christmas evil and uh, just sort of a whole <laughs> april uh, fool's day april fool's day yeah so from a whole whole uh, kind of Malou, if you will. Right. Now, do you remember the first time you watched this movie? I always like to start each movie with memories of when you first watched it. Uh, I'm fairly certain I saw this movie probably for the first time in college. 
which is odd because I I started discovering cult cinema and horror movies fairly early on because I was a devotee to USA Up All Night. Right. With Rhonda Shear. With Rhonda mm-hmm. Shear. And, uh, <laughs> we I love that show. I, I saw so many things because of that show. And then yeah. later I would have to rediscover them because, you know, as you, when you're a kid and you're watching it, you think you're seeing like the most naughty thing. And oh, then my goodness. You find out later that it was still edited for TV and yeah. you had to go and watch it on uh, on VHS. Yeah. But um, Black Christmas was sort of a later discovery, I think, because of the fact that although it is so celebrated within horror circles, mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. the world at large was not really aware of the movie. It sure. was sort of an undiscovered gem. Uh, I know that, uh, and I know we're going to get into it later, but even some of the people involved in it were not quite aware how much of a little cult following it had. Okay. So I... Um, I saw this in college, which in a way was the best time to see it because I went to college in Ohio where if, you know, listeners are not from there, it snows a lot. (laughs) So already getting like snowed in to anywhere Mm -hmm. in a school, like it's relatable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I... I just loved, like, you know, the idea of these, these college students, that they're on their own, and that it's right before the holidays. It was stuff that my friends and I sort of... We weren't sorority girls. Right. I, I'm sure some of us wished we were. <laughs> uh, but that's that's when I saw it, and I just knew. I was like, this is this is it. And yeah. um, I've, I've watched it pretty much annually ever since. <laughs> so we have very similar backgrounds to this movie. I discovered this movie also in college. I went to school in Montana. Okay. I talk a lot about my upbringing in Montana, a very rural community, and I went to a, a state school. And I think it was for Christmas, my sister's, an old ex-boyfriend of hers, gave me a book of cult movies. And in it, I think that it was under cult holiday movies. And I remember reading Black Christmas from 1974, a precursor to Halloween. And it had a little write-up of how influential it was. And this was like 2004 or 2005. Or, yeah. So I feel like even then, this movie was very still underground. And I had to track down this movie. None of the video stores that I went to had it. Netflix didn't even have it on DVD. I had to order this disc off of eBay from Canada. And I still have I still have the disc. Which honestly yeah. is, a, is a great version to have because it's a Canadian movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, sure. And it's so Canadian when you watch it's it too. Super I love Canadian. it. <laughs> I love uh, you know a, a lot of the bit players when you know, they come in and well, what's all this about? Yes. Yeah. You get a lot of yeah. get a lot of about Claire's boyfriend and her in his giant beaver coat. <laughs> and also his giant yeah. beaver. Yeah. I mean I have no reference for uh, winter time or snow or any of that, so that kind of stuff is, is always blows my mind. Um, I didn't catch this movie until you showed it to me. Yeah, I had to introduce it to, to him as an as a grown ass adult, and I also have a pretty you know well established background in cult movies and horror movies and all of that, and I just never sought it out. And when I saw it as a full grown man, it scared the crap out of me. These phone calls are not right. Yeah, I don't like them. I don't like listening to you them. You could never have a Gross horror language? movie in 2019 with that opening phone call. It, you it, you couldn't have it like that anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's an alarming phone call. But I think it lends it it, it immediately 
it establishes what this movie yes. is. Yes. And what I think is really kind of awesome about it, every time I watch this movie, I rediscover not only my love for it, but I also discover new things that I've not considered Same. about. And uh, what I think is really interesting is obviously we can see the influence on Halloween because yeah. we know how close they are. Right. But even all the movies that came after that that r- keep reaching back to it and borrowing. Because obviously this the idea of a phone call uh, menace yeah. was then utilized in When a Stranger Calls, right. which, comes, which then immediately influences Scream. So uh, I was actually trying to figure out if this was one of the first sort of like actual the phone call... The call is coming so from I the was house reading. The house. I was reading on Wiki earlier that Roy Moore, the screenwriter, um, his first pass at the script was called "Stop Me," and it was based on the Man Upstairs urban legend. And Moore also claims to have inspired by a series of a strangulate a strangulation murders during the holiday season in Montreal, uh, in between 1968 and 1970. Hmm. And then the film producers, when it got optioned. Uh, wanted him to rewrite it around college kids. And when Bob Clark came on board, that's when sort of all of the humorous elements of it and Bob Clark really wanted to make a movie about young people in college and make it believable. Right. And he wanted that sense of reality of how young people behave. And kind of, I mean, up until then, I don't think that you really saw an accurate portrayal of college kids in a movie. Maybe The Graduate. Of yeah. just, I'm thinking off the top of my head. Are you telling me that Animal House is not 100% I accurate? think that Animal House came out after this. Oh, geez, Louise. So yeah. wow. it really sets the tone for a lot of movies, movies about old as hell. young co-eds, too. Okay. So, yeah. So it, I think that the Man Upstairs urban legend inspired the movie, and then it sure. just sort of, uh, no pun intended, snowballed <laughs> into right. Black Christmas. I mean, if we're going to talk about the accurate portrayal of college students and the sorority house, we have to talk about Margot Kidder. And yeah. <laughs> I love this performance. I mean, well, not Where only... Are you going to talk about how they don't actually... And no one looks like a believable college student? Yeah, I was going to say, in particular, Margot Kidder and Andrea yeah. Martin. But this is the 70s, and... You know, you just sort of looked older. Yeah, I well, feel like... Well, except, you know, Kier Delea, who is... is Olivia Hussey's boyfriend is, yeah. is 38 years old when oh, they make goodness. this movie. Has no business playing. <laughs> he he no made business this playing 20 years after old. 2001. <laughs> yeah. So he was a space astronaut yeah, who like literally taps into time itself and then goes back to be a pianist. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. had an interesting career because 2001 did, just didn't really launch him no. into mainstream roles. Have you ever heard of that shady quote from Truman Capote about him? Yeah. No. Cure. Cure today. Uh, oh, how does that go? Cure today, gone tomorrow. Cure uh. today, gone tomorrow. I mean, that's our little Howard Stern moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a great looking guy. He was great in in both of these movies, but yeah, his career just didn't take off. But yeah, thirty eight. I didn't know that. Yeah, goodness. I looked I think it Olivia up while Hussey, watching. Olivia Hussey time. must yeah. have been probably twenty one or twenty two when she made it. Right, and yet the most matronly of all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Andrea Martin, come on. Fair, she, fair, fair. Although, did, did Andrea Martin ever look young? I mean, she just, matronly is a very good description uh, of, of some of these gals. But yeah, I feel like part of it is the fact that, you know, twenty twenty one today, they look like children. Right. You know, 
And in the 70s, 2021, you looked about 35. So. Well, well, I do think, too, and I was I rewatched this with my production partner because I knew I was coming to do the episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come come watch Black Christmas with me just so we can like it can be our viewing this year. And we were talking about this very issue, the idea that um, I think that cinema has sort of distorted our reality of right. what teenagers and young people look like. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cause when I see someone yep. who's like 16 at the oh mall, they look like a zygote. Yeah. And child. then when you're watching say Riverdale, they're like this Archie, this sexualized human yes. being is 16, but he's actually like a 25, 26 like year old washboard man. abs. Yeah. yeah. And so because of our, our television and our movies, we have had like these kind of like hyper sexualized college students and high school students forever. Right. That they probably, you know, they did cast adults in these roles, but they're just adults of the time and people looked way more, they looked more like Mr. Cotter and Welcome Back Cotter than they <laughs> yeah. looked like KJ Appa and Riverdale. So. Yeah, true, true. Um, I mean, Margot Kidder plays Lois Lane four years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lois Lane, full grown adult woman. <laughs> So yeah, that's just. I think it's it's just part of the charm of a of a seventies movie though, yeah. uh, and just the the costumes, the the just the way they style some of these 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 women. I I can't get over Andrea Martin. These like octagon like glasses that she wears. This like curly hair. Her boyfriend that looks like Jean Shalit. Yeah, <laughs> is it Mar- Is it Andrea Martin's boyfriend? Yeah, I think that's his boy. That looks like Jean yeah. Shalit. He's got like the handlebar so. mustache and the afro, and and we only see him in that scene. He never appears again. Wait, isn't he the Santa? No, he's not the Santa Claus. Yeah, he's the Santa. He's Claus. He's the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, later on. Oh my goodness, the styling's amazing. But there's a lot of crazy fur coats on men. Like, oh yeah, Dolores Van Cartier fur coats. I mean, on men. Canada in the seventies. <laughs> I guess so. You got to get from class to class. They didn't have a lot of like covered bridges or tunnels. So we should probably set up where the movie starts which is um the week starting christmas break they're having their uh sorority do you know what do we know what the sorority is called i don't don't remember gosh we can look it up yeah but yeah they're having their christmas party before everyone goes away for the holiday break and it starts off with the pov right Mm -hmm. which is like everybody kind of an error set attributes to halloween Right, but this, of course, comes four years yeah. before. I feel like so many people just kind of say that, like, Halloween with that POV shot is, like... I think maybe Peeping Tom in the 60s did it, too. Yeah. Oh, that well, I would, yeah. I would, if you're going to go real deep cuts all right, well, of where yeah. that comes from. Push my glasses up. <laughs> my nose. <laughs> but it does start off with the POV of... Uh, what's the character's name? Billy. Miller? Billy. Oh, Goes by the name of Billy. Oh, my goodness. Billy. He's wrong. There's something wrong with Billy. I'm, I'm sorry. It's it scares me to this day just thinking about it. I've got it. I've got a clip of the phone call. We'll we'll hold it until later on. And we didn't much. get the first phone call because, uh, yeah, this is a family show. Yeah. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's gross. So yeah, so I take it that he's been calling the sorority fairly regularly throughout the month, so yeah, they know who like, he is oh, it's the when owner. they pick up the phone. Right, but I think this is the first night he's talked to them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, because because Olivia Hussey says it's the moaner, so he hasn't said anything. Yeah, which this is a good time for me to bring up my absolute favorite thing about this movie that I'm obsessed with, <laughs> and I think about 
all year long. Yes. Olivia Hussey's voice? No. (laughs) Well, yes. But also the intensity with which Olivia Hussey answers the phone, both in the first phone call (laughs) and then subsequently throughout. Because I don't know, like, it's one, an acting choice, and two, whoever was doing the levels, like, Mm. pumps her levels up real high when she answers the phone and only when she answers the phone. Because it'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Miss Mac. Don't... Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Pardon. <laughs> Who? Like... Hello. <laughs> and if you know anything about Olivia Hussey, her background, she's from Argentina and she moved to England when she was a young child. So it's a weird, it's an interesting accent. And it it's is. kind of how she talks, too. It is. Uh, I, I, you know, she she's, has been in a number of films, including yeah. Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. And uh, my favorite other performance of hers is in uh, Death on the Nile. Mm. Uh, but she always, yeah, that's she, she just kind of brings that, like, sort of punching words. <laughs> that breathy, yeah. not quite English accent. Phil! <laughs> <laughs> What's Marco Kidder's character's name? Barb. Barb! <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of... hello you're crazy oh no that's it sorry (laughs) one of my favorite olivia hussey performances is the the it uh television movie adaptation from 1990 as well as topanga's mom from boy meets world oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. one of one of iterations of topanga's mom because her parents changed they need to to get that one on the last season of american horror story olivia hussey Ryan Murphy, get her on the phone. <laughs> she was also uh, the first time we saw Norman Bates' mom a lot. This is true, yeah. Yes. yeah. Before Norma. Vera Farmiga played Norma Bates, it was Olivia Hussey. Yes, in Psycho 4. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Which, that, is it, it, does it have the beginning? I think Psycho 4, sub, the beginning. Oh, yeah. Her and Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, right. And CCH yeah. Pounder is a DJ. Oh, my goodness. That's a good one. Look it up. Was that made for television? It was, it was made for Showtime, I made believe. for Showtime. Yeah. Okay. By Mick Garris, who also wrote Hocus Pocus. Okay. I was going to say, I know that name. Mick Garris. He's been on the show. Well, Hocus We Pocus talked about him on the show. <laughs> His work. So, yeah, it immediately, it just jumps right into the obscene phone calls and we get a little bit of we get a little bit of Barb and her like sassy like. So what I think is interesting about Barb is that there's a lot going on with this character of like how she talks to her mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like what is the history of her and right. what does she call her mom? The grade A or what is it? We'll calls her mom a, 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 a horrible name. <laughs> Well, anyways, we we can go on. Sure. So yeah, so Barb's got like she's pretty sassy right off the bat. She kind of does she grab the phone out of uh, out of uh, Olivia Hussey's hand at this point and just starts screaming at the guy at the on the other end. Yeah, yeah. And she kind of takes him to task. Yeah. And then, but she's having a good time doing it. Yes. yes. Yeah. At, at this point, it's just a prank caller. It's just right. like some boy that's just trying to bother them. And my line that I wrote down when she was talking to her mom, I don't know if she was saying it to her mom or saying it about herself. A gold-plated whore. Gold-plated whore. Ah. Love it. You yeah. know, that old chestnut. <laughs> and Barb, I think, has a drinking problem. Yeah. We think. She's usually a little tipsy in every single scene of this movie. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as it progresses, she keeps getting drunker and drunker. Yes, I think that uh, Barb being not the only character with a drinking problem in the film, mm-hmm. but there is sloppy drunk and then functional alcoholic in yes. the form of house mom, Mrs. Mack. Oh, Mrs. Mack. Oh, geez. Icon. Vaudeville icon, Mrs. <laughs> Mack. Yeah. Honestly, Mrs. Mack is in a completely different movie than everybody else, and I am here for it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, and that's the Bob Clark influence that we have yes. to put in this very sticky vaudeville character to lighten things up. She has a hollowed out book. Yeah. 
to hide her hooch. B, B for, for booze. booze. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is commitment. It is. She also has toilet booze. Mm-hmm. Toilet booze, much like uh, much like the dad on uh, Good Times hiding wow. it in the toilet in the alcoholic episode. Or was it Wilona? It's attached to a string and you just like just pull it, it on yeah. out. She uh she swishes with scotch or well actually actually the booze she drinks is sherry. It's sherry, yeah. Which is really gross. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, that's like that's you are you are just you need it. Yeah, You're a legit point. alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. That's like uh drink that's like drinking scope just to like to get the But yeah, <laughs> she brushes her teeth yeah. and swishes with it. Which also I I believe I want to believe was called back to in Scream Queen season 2 when Dean Kathy Munch was swishing with uh, scotch I didn't, as well. I didn't get that far in Scream Queens. <laughs> and even Scream Queens has a very black Christmas tone to it too. Yes, well sorority yeah. house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of humor. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, Mrs. Mack, she's amazing. Her delivery is amazing. Um her hats her various her various chapeaus that she wears her 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 styling and that's the thing it's that time in the mid 70s that it's like the clothes still look very vintage you know yeah. it's it, the clothes haven't quite moved into like a modern era it would have been bought in probably like the mid 60s yeah she's wearing hats that she's that she has on her head with hat pins like it's it's very vintage fabrics and that kind of but it's interesting too because there are the generational divide which of course would be very prevalent in culture during this moment yeah is really like clear where it shows how the girls like sort of don't view mrs mack as a, a human being right. because <laughs> even though she sort of dresses in this this matronly way with mm-hmm. her like hats and her sort of like you know old-timey clothes they get her this very kind of muumu esque yeah, nightgown, nightgown. and they want to see her try it on. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> because she's, wouldn't you? Yeah, and she's just like, "Wow, cool, great, glad yeah. that I am not a sexual being." Yeah, these people. Yeah, and she's full. They're like, "Try it on." She's like, "No, I'm not going to put this on." Yeah, <laughs> like, what, you want me to go to bed now? It's hideous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. I never kind of thought of it that way. <laughs> hey, that's so funny. Yeah, all of the hidden booze. We've got uh, what is the cat's name? Claude. 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 Oh, her and Claude. And then, okay, I mean, I was going to go right into uh, her interaction with the, the, well, the father of the Well, we should probably girl, but... also mention that Claire gets picked off. She's the first one. Yes. Does Claire have any sort of, like, character note? What's her thing? She pisses Barb off in the opening scene. Claire is going to go spend the week. Like, she actually does intend to do exactly what the police say yeah, she's going to do. Right, right, right. She's going to go. Her plan is to go off. With her fur-coated boyfriend <laughs> to a cabin in the woods okay. to shack up for the holidays. And that's what she's packing for right. when she gets plastic-bagged by Billy. Bagged and tagged. Bagged and, and tagged. hauled up to the attic. I remember thinking that scene where Billy jumps out at her in the closet when I first watched it was so fucking scary, yeah. too. It is. Well, I mean, the idea of being attacked in your own home is yeah. Mm-hmm. horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's really smart. Um because that's why people don't really take her disappearance that seriously. Because, right. like you said, she was planning on just just boning out, and just like okay, spending the weekend. Yeah, there's a lot, and I as we discuss the the story more, it's the little threads and nuances that I think make this movie special. Right. In, in addition to just its place in the canon, rewatching it time and again, I'm I'm sort of 
always taken by the fact that it does not do what a lot of slashers that follow do, where they just set up the killer and then the whole movie is a race to stay alive. Right. Uh, and I, I'm just kind of very grateful that we spend time with each of these people and yeah. realize that they have micro issues that are happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, Olivia Hussey and her piano playing boyfriend. Yes. But well, I mean, we, I guess we have that's to get what to that, that was story. what I was alluding. Yeah. To <laughs> yeah. We have to get to that story. But yeah. So so Claire gets kind of she gets off first and foremost really early in the movie. He brings her body up to the attic and he props it up on a rocking chair kind of out in front of the attic window. Right. So you can't quite see it. Right. From the street. You probably could if you were looking hard enough. Right. And you can definitely see it for the end credits because cinema. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It gets kind of scooted over a little bit. Um, I think some of the scenes with Claire's father when he's initially looking for her are kind of, kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's like some, there's some emotional stuff in there's here. There's some definite moments where reality drops in on this pre- on this premise. Yeah. Also the missing kid that's found oh, yeah. halfway through the movie. Yeah. Now is that have any, is that just like a coincidence? I think was I half watching? I think it's supposed to be Billy. It's supposed to be Billy? That did it. Interesting. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Okay. What I do like though is that we never fully know Billy's motives. So yes. we really mm-hmm. can kind of apply our own ideas on that. Well right. it well and that's very Michael Myers that yeah. Billy is a blank slate. He's the boogeyman. So we're not taking into account the horrible remake from the uh, mid-2000s? Oh, we'll talk about that, too. Because <laughs> they give him a shitty backstory. And, yeah. and some of the most delicious-looking cookies. <laughs> One thing that I always think about the 06 uh, remake is when they deliver the cookies to him in the asylum, I'm like, I would eat those. Those look good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Billy used to Billy in the remake used to live in the sorority house, right? That was his house. Yeah. That was his house. Oh, with, with his sister daughter agnes oh my god yeah because they like like it's <laughs> like can't. they take certain lines of his phone calls and they make a backstory to it yes gross and they stunt cast andrea martin as the house mother yeah but she makes it way she, she as mrs mack makes it way longer than our og mm-hmm. Mrs. <laughs> and i want to say like michelle trachtenberg is the barb role not michelle trachtenberg uh, i think right yeah. wait I, it might be Lacey Chabert. Uh, oh. Because it's Lacey Chabert, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, oh Katie Cassidy's our final girl. <laughs> um, Katie Cassidy's the final girl of that movie. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a, a rockin' CW cast. Wow, um, yeah. Lacey Chabert and Katie... Jeez Louise. Kristen Cloak... 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 Oh my goodness, who are these people? I love it. <laughs> I do like that there's the leg lamp in the back of one of the yeah. scenes. And the uh, sanitarium in the remake is Clark Sanitarium. A little nod to okay. our boy. All right. So maybe it's not as shitty as I, <laughs> as I remember. <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So in, immediately Barb, not Barb, uh, Claire's father comes to comes to the school looking for her. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, he makes his way to the sorority house, meets Mrs. Mack. And she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it is. I do really appreciate what you both said about how his arrival lends an era of gravity to this. Because yes. that is uh, a real world note of what would happen in, in a tragic moment. Yeah. But then upon arrival at the sorority house and interacting with Miss Mac and Barb, he does kind of start occupying a Bob Clark sort of space where he's like, the, well, I never. Right. I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> kind of kind of guy where like everything sure. 
that happens is is he's disapproving. Yeah. The idea of girls being sexualized, I mm. I certainly didn't send my daughter to college to be drinking and picking up boys. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I I have a little bit. Just a. I thought this was a fun little line here. Jesus, Claude, look what you made me do. Come on, Claude. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Come on, Claude, I gotta go. Here, kitty. God damn it, Claude, you little prick. This is very kind of you, Mr. Harrison. Think nothing of it. Was he giving her a ride somewhere? Yeah, she had to go do some shopping. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice? I noticed on this viewing that I don't think I'd ever seen in Claire's bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in Claire's bedroom, and she has a giant poster of her boyfriend, Chris. Have you ever seen that? No. Wait. There's a giant picture of Chris in his coat. Well, <laughs> maybe she, maybe the inference is she's a photography student. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, I just noticed that on this viewing. Yeah, weren't they like trying to cover stuff up for so the father wouldn't see? Like, well, there's the poster of the granny flipping off the camera. There you go. There's the very '60s uh, summer of '69 poster. Sure, with the with the butt on it. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, the dad's approved. He doesn't want to see all this nudity in in his daughter's <laughs> dorm yes. room. I love it. Um. So after. Claire's father's in town. We have like a drunken dinner with Barb, right? Where she just starts. She kind of has a little. Well, I think before that, Claire and uh, not Claire, Claire's dad mm. and Barb and Phil all go to the police station as part of the right. errand. Yeah. Because this is where we get the Oso Hijinxy oh, Fellatio yes, exchange number. Yeah. Did you get that clip? I did get that clip. Um,. Telephone exchanges. Yeah. yeah. That's another thing that dates this I'm a little, movie. I'm a little too young for, for that. I mean, when did when did telephone exchanges kind of not become a thing? I'm all into the telephone <laughs> sleuthing in this film. Yeah. Like, I don't understand uh, any of it. I mean, yeah. I had a rotary phone yeah, uh, we had a rotary growing phone. up and everything. But, like, I didn't know that, like, it was in that contraption a room with the it's man like which happens running later up and down it's the like halls. these giant analog yeah. contraptions that kind of track phone calls or like for every single line in a community there's like a little it's all physically connected to it's something. all physically yeah. connected to something now as far as exchanges go the only only interaction i had with that as a kid is if you were calling another country you would have to sure. know the exchange but right I don't know that a sorority house would have to have. Well, I think it was just at the time. I think it might have been a thing that there were there were less phone numbers. I think they might have moved up to the seven digit system. Oh yeah, in in like the late seventies, early eighties, um, it was like a thing in New York. And there's like there's like that song like Pennsylvania six five thousand or whatever. Like that's an exchange and like Murray Hill and and all of that five 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 like being a KL KL five or whatever. It's like these were exchanges that were in big cities, and I think it was a thing that there may have been less phone numbers. I guess just because the the police weren't being that helpful or forthcoming with them, that Barb decided to have this little exchange with with the cops. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Could you give me the number at the sorority house? 
This actor was also in Porky's. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. So he's like a Bob Clark uh, player. (laughs) I think that he's the gym teacher in Porky's. Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, so this movie's like, I don't know, it's just kind of playing on a bunch of different levels, I guess, with like the comedy and like... There's a lot of tones going on at one time, and it all works. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Yeah, for sure. I also think in this case, Barb was established as as a character who doesn't take things seriously. But right. in this moment, it makes sense because they don't seriously believe anything's happened to Claire, so they're mm-hmm. not yet invested. Right. So, of course, she's going to screw with the cop. Right. It is interesting, though, that the cops are just very much like, oh, missing girl. Well, she's, she's probably just, you know, she'll yeah. turn up. Like... I don't know if that's just a conceit because it's a movie or if maybe that's how they, you know, things were handled at the time. But it's just like, how are they not taking this seriously? This is an under a minor that these people are saying. And also just coming out of the 60s know, maybe were like minor. the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. Hey, it's wow. Canada. They're not they don't have serial killers up, up north. Mm. That's that's just for that's just for America or the United States, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. None of kooks up there. Um, but then, yeah, we do get to the awesome dinner where Barb tells a, tells the the amazing story about the mating habits of turtles, which is true. Is this true? Yes, I did my research. <laughs> there is a breed of sea turtle that can have sex for three days. Wow! So Barb paid attention in ecology. Yeah, yep. I guess so. In her marine biology elective. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, she gets. Sent to bed because she's just drunk, right? You're drunk, Barb. Go to bed. Yeah. I love that her room has the like, um, the little like blown glass figurines. Yeah. That, those are, just, that's so, oh my God, those are so 70s, 70s and 80s. Like, it's also an odd thing for like a bodacious, like, sorority girl who's like body and just like sex, sex, sex. Yeah. Like, cause I kind of feel like that's something like your, your aunt who doesn't have sure. much going on has. Like, yeah. yeah. These little collectibles. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think it's just to kind of highlight the way she gets killed. Yes, of course. Kind of, you know, so maybe they just... You get that shot that uh, when Olivia Hutsey comes into her bedroom, mm-hmm. the the figurines are framed right below screen, so it's a little foreshadowing yeah, yeah. of where it's going to go. They do... We noticed a lot of that interesting camera work where they do the split focus. The yeah. split diopters. Yeah. split diopter. Um, that's very like, I guess it's just very period. You don't see it very a lot De Palma. anymore. Right. Very De Palma. Yeah. It's not an easy kind of shot to set up. Right. Oh, yeah. Man. It's like a specific lens or something. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it looks crazy. It almost looks like, um, because you can see the weird line where there's a little blur in it. And so, right. yeah, it's all in camera. 
I guess like to uh, I guess like to modern movie goers, we're just used to movies looking so perfect, right? Do you know what I mean? Like movies just always look mm-hmm. everything that you see in a movie is there on purpose, you know. But I think that it's the little imperfections that make these movies what they are for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that sure. sometimes when things are so clean, it's not as good. Yeah, agreed. And it gives these movies character, and it makes them feel more like like movies, you know, like you can tell that they're like film and, and the imperfections and all that. And, but yeah, we noticed a couple of those, those split shots and they're, they're really, they're interesting choices, you know? And you, yeah, you, I don't know if you don't see, you could probably do that shot now in camera and make, and it, you wouldn't even tell just have everything in focus and it wouldn't be as well. If you were doing it digitally, uh, what you would do is you just shoot it twice. You do, Oh yeah. You do a focus yeah. Yeah. like on you. And then I change the focus to whoever's behind you. Yeah. And then in post, you just, just split this. it yeah. together. Yeah. But every, everybody else has to say perfectly still. Otherwise it messes it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a little trickier. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, all right. Where, where are we now? Can we talk, can we talk about when Olivia Hussey visits, Kirtley at, at the yeah at at the music studio, hall. and she tells him the, her big news. This whole subplot also feels very uh, women's movement of yes. the seventies, and I think it's the element of this movie that still ages really well. In twenty nineteen, it's still a very hot button issue with people. No, and I do think when yeah. I was saying earlier how uh, I think a lot of of what makes this movie work so well is the nuance that's mm-hmm. woven through. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I mean, it, in comparison to the 2006 Black Christmas, only because we just mentioned it, uh, is the idea that a lot of modern slashers just set up like, here's what's going on, here's the killer, and oh no, we're yeah. trapped in this place. And we then don't spend a lot of, of time yeah. kind of learning about the people. We're exploring these We're exploring these characters and what's going on in their lives. And so actually for a good portion of Black Christmas, a lot of people either are not taking the threat seriously because they don't think it's happened mm-hmm. or they don't know about it at all. It's not really until the body is found in the park that anybody right. really reacts. And so at this moment, even though they're like, we don't know where Claire is, there is a general concern. Uh, Jess, Olivia Hussey's character, is by and large consumed with something that if you are a uh, woman who Mm -hmm. has this news that you have to share with your boyfriend, you would be. And even though I was ribbing on her earlier, I do think it actually speaks to how Olivia Hussey prepared the character because she gets kind of read by a lot of people for how kind of tightly wound she is in the earlier portions of the film. And I think that it has been uh, telegraphed or miscommunicated that that's just kind of like how she is. But it's sort of like, no, now we know that if she's sitting there at the party where everyone's with their boyfriends. Yeah, she has a lot. She has a lot on her mind. Yeah. And so then when someone calls and it's just like, I'm secretly pregnant. Yeah. I don't want to have the baby. (laughs) We now know why. Yeah. 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 Yeah, True. And her her brief interactions with her boyfriend he does not look like a very nice person. No. So you can see why she doesn't want to raise a child with this person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you think like, oh, he's like, great, this is wonderful news. You know, at least he's not like, well, fuck, get rid of it. But on the other hand, when she does say like, I don't want to keep it, he's just straight up like, you're so selfish. Yeah, why would you do this yeah, to me today? to me, yeah. yeah. Why would you to me and then today like, oh, yeah, your fucking piano like audition. Yeah, I, I get that it's like college and all that but come on like this is a kid and one of the parts that i like about the subplot like i mentioned before you could 
put this conversation in a movie today. Yeah. Yeah. And it would work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, though, she could have waited until after his piano audition to tell him, you know, what's 12 more hours. But hey. (laughs) But if she didn't tell him, then we wouldn't have a MacGuffin. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because then it becomes, well, is it? Uh, is it, you know... He's set up as the, the red herring yeah. well, throughout the movie. He, yeah. He'll just appear in random scenes where yeah. stuff is happening. And what we are to infer by the end is that he's just baby crazy. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing is, we get the... So later on, when he does have his like flash dance style like audition. His flash dance style audition. Right. Yep. And he just totally bombs it. He's doing this like crazy atonal like Philip Glass like masterpiece, but I guess that's not what they're looking for cuz he's like screwing it up. You know, then it cuts to well it doesn't cut immediately, but we ultimately we get this scene of him destroying a grand piano that I'm assuming is school property. Yeah, with each hit <laughs> I was like that's thousands of dollars. So much yeah. money. Uh, you're going to but I mean, I guess that's just to illustrate how like off, off hinge he is. Yeah, how he's crazy. He can get when you know pushed he can get violent to this level, and he can get violent. He can destroy a, a thousand, multi-thousand-dollar piece of equipment that doesn't even <laughs> belong to him. You know, I don't even know what a grand piano would cost. I know a I, lot. I do love that. Way later in the movie, when John Saxon just goes and kind of looks at that. Yeah, he he kind of just communicates. As John Saxon always does in every role that he's in. Yeah. Just like kind of general annoyance before getting the yeah. Do you think that when Wes Craven was, he casted him in A Nightmare on Elm Street, he was just like, yeah, just do Black Christmas. Get me the cop from that. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, so what's, what's really cool about John Saxon is his career in horror is, is very multifaceted because mm-hmm. before Black Christmas, he had done a lot of work over in Italy where he, he was in Italian horror films oh. uh, that he played the lead of often as an inspector, which I assume is what led to him kind of getting, right. getting typecast as that. Yeah. And then, so he's in movies that Mario Bava made and people, people like that. But he also was a, uh, wasn't, is a, a martial artist and appeared in a lot of movies with Bruce oh. Lee. So he's saying, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was in enter the dragon. He is in enter the dragon. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I knew that. And he's, uh, so he's kind of like the quintessential, like square jawed, like sure. guy. Who's yeah. Just like, and, um, it's just so interesting that a generation, te- exactly ten years after Black Christmas, gets to know him because of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, mm-hmm. when in fact he's he's like international. He's, sure. He was arguably at the time probably one of the most famous people in the movie. In, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Besides Ronnie Blakely. <laughs> well, I, I I met in Black Christmas. <laughs> in Black Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Love, side note: I do love the story in uh, in Never Sleep Again that I think Wes Craven tells the story of John Saxon showing up and saying, "All right." These are my hair pieces. Which one do you want? <laughs> you can definitely see what hair piece he chose for this one. It is proudly on He's display. Like, let's let's build this character. <laughs> which piece <laughs> am I using for this movie? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he's he brings he does bring a, a level of like okay, there's there's definitely good acting in this movie, and I think I think they all do, you know, yeah. to a certain extent. And he's another one who, much like we get this Olivia Hussey baby backstory mm-hmm. subplot and the, the Claire has the boyfriend and Barb clearly has issues with her mom. I like when we see him at the police station 
because they could have easily just been like, he's the cop on the case. Yes. But he, we see him interacting with the other cops about stuff that has nothing to do with the movie. There's yeah. a jovial nature. Like, they give the rookie that, a lot of shit for yeah. writing down the fellatio exchange, and everyone thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. The one comes in with the buckshot in his ass mm-hmm. from, like, from, like, the local farmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's, like, little bits of, like, there's extra stuff that you... I don't know if movies now just don't have time... Right. Just with pacing, you know, because a lot of times with movies of this era, but actually for being, what is it, 74? Yeah, for, for being 74, it's it's not as leisurely paced as other movies from this mm-hmm. no. time frame are. It, it moves pretty fast. It, it does move fast. It's under yeah. two hours. Yeah. And you do feel, because I know sometimes, you know, coming from our like MTV generation <laughs> and how we're just, you know, used to fast cuts and all that sometimes with older movies you you feel the editing you feel the pacing as being very different you know even even when you watch something like the very first star wars movie you're just like oh man this movie is old because it is paced very they are taking their sweet time but um this movie doesn't it doesn't feel that way. It feels it feels very modern in its pacing at least, you know, if if not in the the visuals and the uh, the clothing, but it it's it's paced really really snappy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um Where do we go next? What's what's happening next on the uh... Well, Barb's in bed. Oh my goodness. Uh which would would be as far advanced in the cuz Olivia Hussey and Kier Delia have the conversation before Barb goes to bed. Right. And we've talked about this. Barb Barb talks about turtle banging. Uh <laughs> they send her to bed. Uh and then if I'm not mistaken, um this is when they some some of the people leave mm-hmm. and Ms. Mac is on her way to her sisters. The taxi right. guy who is very insistent is outside. And she hears Claude oh, yes. in the attic. Yes. You get that great shot of when she pokes her head up in the attic and she sees Claire yes. in the chair. And then she gets whacked in the head by... What is like a pulley? A pulley? <laughs> I don't know why this is in the attic. There's a lot of shit in this attic that I'm kind of wondering. Yeah. Was it there from a previous owner? Why is there a rocking horse in the attic? <laughs> well, maybe maybe sorority theme parties. Yeah. You know, and the movie addicts always have like there's always like a, a dress form, a dress form in yeah. the corner, yeah. But I mean, you got to you got to pad out the attic with stuff. But yeah, it's if I feel like it's straight up like a pulley. Miss Mac has a really good movie death. She really does. She does. Yeah. Well, because we don't really see. I think it's sort of implied because he throws the hook of the pulley at yeah. her. It's implied that the hook probably impales her in some way. Yes. But then we see him like. Hoister. He drags her up, yeah, mm-hmm. which is great into that crawl space attic door. Yeah, and is there's like yeah, there's moving of the bot, like much like in Halloween, where it's yeah. like these people, the kids are killed in certain spots in the house, but later on, when Laurie runs through the house, she finds them in different places, right? Because he pulls yeah. up Claire and puts her in the chair, and then he moves Mrs. Mack into the weird crawl space. He brings Andrea Martin to Barb's room. Yeah, yeah, he's got a lot. He's of time. all about design yes he's got to like he's got to place them very he's very specific he has a plan (laughs) he's got the weird red eye for it yeah or he's just like uh just a little a little ocd as well on top of everything else um but yeah so that's that's the end of our mrs mac poor dear (laughs) gone but not forgotten (laughs) why why do drag queens not do mrs mac more often yeah i still feel like this movie is a little less still 
I mean, even though I would say within the past 10 years since the remake, it has kind of gotten its recognition yeah. in horror. But yeah, it still is under the radar with certain people. Well, uh, since we already sort of talked about the remake, I do know that Andrea Martin, when they approached her to mm-hmm. play Mrs. Mack in the new one, uh, she confessed to the, the filmmaker that she hadn't even thought about the movie in 32 years. <laughs> wow. <Since> like- <laughs> and I would imagine that probably Olivia, Olivia Hussey probably has a similar relationship with it, yeah. that she probably had to be told by somebody in like the mid 2000s that this movie is super beloved. Yeah. Yeah, there's an interview on the Scream Factory Blu-ray remaster of this where they talk to her and she she sort of speaks similarly. She just kind of was shocked that yeah. people were into this. And then there was some archival interviews with Margot Kidder who you know was just yeah, it was great. I had a good day. <laughs> Margot I'm from Montana, Margot Kidder retired in uh, Livingston, Montana. Mm. She loved Montana. And she loved uh, all all the animals and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. all the wildlife. All the wildlife. She would just supposedly she would just feed wild wolves at like her doorstep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Margot Kidder is very beautiful in this movie. Yeah, you, she's you, gorgeous. You mentioned that earlier. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful women. You in can this see movie. why they picked her for Lois Lane because yeah, there is a star factor with her. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate having, I hate like comparing like women like that, but she's giving me a little like Courtney Cox just with like sure. styling and just like, I don't know. The statement choker. Yes. Yeah. That choker. Oh my goodness. She's wearing that statement choker like the entire time. Isn't Even she? in bed. Like yeah. can you imagine going to bed with a choker <laughs> yeah. on? And doesn't it have like a cameo on it? It front? does. That's got to be uncomfortable. I mean, she doesn't have an Adam's apple, but still. Right. That can't, I mean. Well, she's she's half in the bag when she's in bed, so she's not she's not feeling anything, much less that cameo on her on her black satin choker. <laughs> so, all right. So now, um, I believe Jess comes home. Yes, to what she perceives to be an empty house. Right, right. And is this when Art Hindle shows up? This, the boyfriend Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I think this is when. So Art Hindle comes over. Uh, they're kind of getting all caught up with one another. And then this is when uh, the police show up to say about... They're going to tap the, they're going to tap the phone. Or, or is this... Because Chris got a phone call in the afternoon too, when she came home. How many phone calls does she take through the movie from like, from Billy? She does the first one. Yeah. When she comes home. And she changes into her robe. Right. And she meets Curdelet, that one. And then doesn't he call back twice when the phone's tapped? Yes. Two? Yeah, he has to yeah. call back twice because they don't they don't um have him on the line longer. Yeah, and she's like, I love when she tells when the police are telling her you gotta keep him on the line longer. And she's just like, you know, it upsets me. And when she tells him, like, I don't want to keep him on the line any longer because it upsets me. I just, that, I don't know why that little line always got me. Like, oh, my God, how sad. Yeah. How scary. Like, would you want to keep him on the phone? Like, I mean, could you imagine being, like, 22 years old and someone's calling your house? Yeah. With these ugly calls? Yeah. I hate them. And also the supernatural ability to, like... Okay. Billy's Billy's ability to make multiple voices. Yeah. He can make like, farm noises. Yeah. He can kind of throw his voice, and the voices too. like talk over each other. Because somebody at the in the at the very beginning of the movie, I think it might be Claire, 
asks. She's like, is that one person? So we know the filmmakers are aware that this sounds crazy because otherwise they would not leave that line in because it does sound like it's multiple people. It does, And sound... they can't hear it, too, because it's coming from the attic. Right. Yeah, because he's fully, like, screaming mm-hmm. into the phone, <laughs> and they don't, and they can't hear. Well, that's okay. That's Did okay. you have a sample of, the, of one of the phone calls with her? Uh, I do. I have one of the last phone calls um, with, uh, with Jess and, and Billy. And it, it's not as horrible as the, as the first one, but it's still pretty scary. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Listening, you're trying to follow along with what Billy's saying. Don't bother. It's not coherent. Like he's not saying anything that we need to like understand, right? But yeah, fuck those phone calls. <laughs> yeah, if you were to get those, oh. <laughs> and also, I mean, this was a time before like cell phones. So all just like landlines too, right? So it's all horror that revolves around not knowing. Yeah, I mean, not yeah. knowing, and also at the time, like just. Modern technology of just landline phones, too. You know, right. there's no... You couldn't even get the box that Sydney got in Scream 2. Yeah, you don't know ID. where these are coming from. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have that technology. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just the, the volume and just the like creepiness of it is always just so awful. And then, she, yeah, she immediately is just like screaming for everybody else in the house, like Mrs. Mack. She's looking for, she's looking for Barb. Um Phil has has Phil met her untimely passing. So we should probably Poor just Phyllis. set up the last act of this movie. Phyllis uh, also bites it. <laughs> how does, how she does gets Phyllis die? Strangled. She gets strangled. Yeah. Yes. She goes in to check on Barb, and Billy's behind the door and just yaks her in. Right. Because at this point, Billy has already stabbed Barb to death with an icicle. Uh, right. With a, a, glass. Ra- a unicorn, a unicorn yeah. horn, a unicorn horn. Okay, so it is part of her 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 glass menagerie. I lo- and I love how that scene is cut too. It's a beautifully cut scene with the carolers. Oh, that's right. That's when you get the Christmas. And also, I mean, outside. I don't know. I know that John Carpenter's Halloween Two is noted for using music ironically with the Sandman, right? But this is also oh, right. taking a very classic Christmas carol. Uh-huh. And putting it over something sinister and scary, right? Too. Right. I don't know if that had been done a lot. It may have had, but this is probably one of the first instances that I can think of that cut a scene like this too. Yeah, yeah. The those Christmas carolers, though, that was like the full on like Mormon Tabernacle Choir that was outside like singing this one. Christmas and they carol. go on a long yeah. time. <laughs> do you, can you can you like how do you get Christmas carolers to stop? I mean, you pour. 
boiling oil on them if you're the Adams family. Well, I just think it's funny because uh, Olivia Hussey just kind of stands in the door and stares at them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. because Go on. we keep cutting back and forth between her and what's going on upstairs, you're just... What is happening? Yeah. yeah. Is she like looking them all like direct eye contact, like <laughs> with these carolers? Like, mm-hmm. go on. <laughs> yeah. So while this is happening, uh, we get, you know, Barb gets offed with a unicorn horn from her glass menagerie. And then Andrea Martin then Andrew gets, Martin gets off- offed after this. Gets strangled. So they set up, the police are parked outside, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've tapped the phone and she has to keep them on. Like over a minute or something, because they're tracing it with their crazy analog machines. It's like hallways and hallways yeah. of, and he's got to like find like something visually of you know. And this is where we get the big. The calls are coming from inside, inside the, the house. house. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like that is really that scene is really effective when yeah. he calls her, I, and it's my favorite scene of the he's whole movie. Trying not to. Make her scared. Just put the phone down yeah. and walk outside. And then he biffs it, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because he he has been, the, the cop, the Porky's coach, has been ordered <laughs> by John Saxon to get her to leave the house. Just tell her to leave the house calmly. I'll be there in five minutes. Yeah. And the, the guy calls and he's like, you need to leave. And she's like, let me go get... Uh, Andrew Martin and Margot Kidder. Yeah. And the cops like, don't do that. But like a little too dramatically. <laughs> and <laughs> Olivia Hussey's like, oh, I've been taking dramatic phone calls all evening. And so then <laughs> she she goes automatically to 11 because she knows something up is up and tries to go and get the girls. This is when she finds the delicately arranged bodies. Yes. She has her big final girl chase scene. But I mean, yes. this is one of those, this is one of those like iconic horror moments that goes on to become like almost a cliche yeah yeah don't don't go upstairs yes you know like and as she's going upstairs like if you when you're watching it you're just like don't go up there girl like don't go in that room you know what i mean and it's that it's that thing that now has become like the cliche of like of a horror movie but they're doing it here and they're and they're doing it effectively you know she's scared and i and i buy it yeah, me too. And she cares that much about her friends that she's willing to risk yes. her life to see if they're okay. Yeah, because she knows or she thinks that they're asleep in the house. So when he's like, you need to leave now. The cops are on their way. Just get the hell out of the house. What would you do? Would you be like, oh, fuck, you know, those idiots. I'm out of here. Or would you be like, oh, let me just go grab them real quick. Right. You know? Um, do I let my friends fend for themselves? <laughs> it's just upstairs. I'll go run and get them. And he, when he grabs her by the hair, too, it's... Oh, my God. Yeah. You get that great shot of Billy's eye between the door crack. Yeah. yeah. I love that scene. Yeah, it's really good. Um, her acting when she is calling for uh, for Barb and for... That scene Phil. always makes my hair stand up on my arm. It's really good. She's so good in that scene. She really is. Because <laughs> it's very much like how... You would react in that moment is that you'd be screaming at the top of your lungs for your friends. Get your ass down here. I mean, this movie has a lot of things. It has a lot of telephone rings, like actual like ringing telephones in it. Um, and it's got a lot of Olivia Hussey screaming people's names. Yes. <laughs> of which she delivers every time. But yeah, and it do- but it doesn't get repetitive. You know, I feel like she's... It's not like Poltergeist 3 where they're screaming out for Caroline. 
147 And times. yes, we've done Poltergeist 3 on this show. <laughs> well, as you ought. <laughs> a high rise in Laura Flynn Boyle. Yes. Definitely made me gay. <laughs> for sure. And some and some shoulder pads on Nancy I Allen. know it's why it's not the show that I was at. It, it's not the film I was asked to discuss, but I do always have to point out that every time Poltergeist shenanigans happen, they're always like, we need to call Tangina. And I'm always like, why? <laughs> because do you remember in the first movie when she's she like, this house help. is clean? And it then leaves. Not. And it was not. It's she's doing of like, a fucking bad job. You know, if you hire someone to come and do like a menial task, yeah. like if I'm like, please change the light fixture in my bathroom. And the guy's like, it's all good. And then leaves. And it's not. I don't call <laughs> that call guy back. again. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She's their, she really was their Knott's Berry Farm solution. <laughs> she was. Yeah. If anything, Beatrice Strait did a better job. She did. She did. And she gave an Oscar nomination to right boot. to add on top of it. She gave them peace of mind. Yes. I mean, that's all they really needed in the, in in those moments. But um, uh, here we've got a little bit of um of this. Phil, Bob, oh please answer me. Score is pretty creepy too. I like the score. Yeah, I like the score in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, then yeah, proceeds to go upstairs, opens the door, sees Billy's crazy eye in the door crack, <laughs> and then and we never the race is on. We never yeah. really get a good shot of Billy. No, right? we never. I'm see always him. curious if they use Cure's eye in that scene. Oh, that would be an interesting. If, thing if they used him as a stand-in, I don't know though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't if it was my choice. If mm-hmm. it was my call, because then I think that would lead people to be like, "Well, that looks too much like yeah, so and so." We see him like in brief movement, like I, yeah, yeah. In in terms of not not cure, but Billy, Billy. You see him a little bit in Mrs. Max scene, yeah. And um, but yeah, it's just quick shots, flashes. You never get the full like Michael Myers, you know, boogeyman stalking her kind of a thing. Which is interesting that you that's never a, see the killer. That's definitely that way. a choice. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. I like it. I like that we never yeah. fully see him. Yeah. Because like, that would never happen in a movie now. No. Oh, at no. all. Well, <laughs> in the 06 remake, we see Billy a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Those flashbacks, man. Aren't there like crazy flashbacks with him as like a kid? Yeah, where he's oh, like skittering God. through like the yeah. crawl space. And his mom. <laughs> Cause doesn't it kind of set up that he's that he lives in the walls or something? Well, it's like some people under the stairs <laughs> shit. Yeah, so if, basically in o- the 06 remake, uh, it's established that Billy's family lived in the house that was then bought and turned into the sorority house okay. after he killed everyone and sent to the insane asylum. Doesn't he make them into cookies, though? Yes, he sure does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but As you would. He he is hidden away because he is born with a rare uh, skin, like liver disease that makes his skin yellow, and his mother, much like... Alphaba's mom and Wicked is like, <laughs> I cannot have a child on the color wheel. Right. So I must hide him away. And then she, she because she's like horny for like some guy that looks like Joe Piscopo, kills, um, <laughs> kills the real dad, buries him under the house. And Billy's oh, like God. hiding in the attic and knows all this. And then th- like has the new boyfriend move in. 
but still somehow manages to hook it up with Billy. So Billy's the the father of his own sister. It gets real oh, askew. Man. That's crazy. It gets pretty cuckoo bananas. That yeah. is cr- that is crazy. I straight up watched it immediately after watching this in preparation for the episode. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. so you just watched yeah, it? Hence why I'm like, and oh, then yeah. in less than a month, the new re- the new Blumhouse remake is going to be coming out. Yeah, which I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm actually very excited for. It. I'm, okay, I'm going to see it. Yeah. Opening day. Because my reason, I think it looks like it is is subverting the expectations in the way that I want to remake too. Okay, sure. It, I think it's that, doing something new with it. Exactly. Too. Because if you just try and like remake frame for frame something that we yeah. already have, what's the point? But then also, you don't want to take something that we already have and sort of just put things in it for the sake of putting it in. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, Billy being Agnes's brother <laughs> father. Do you yeah. think this new Blumhouse remake is going to be re- almost referencing the 74 movie as a backstory? I don't know. And I that would be, be ex- kind of cool. I would be excited to see that. Sure. I just like the idea of it going in new territory because now I feel like I'm also getting an, an other holiday horror movie. Yeah, that, sure. Yes, while it has the same title, it has as Black the same Christmas. brand of Black Christmas. Yeah, but it's in yep. a way. I I hope it does what John Carpenter initially intended to do with Halloween. Yeah, right. absolutely. Give me a new Black Christmas where it's a different Christmas story right. that just happens to be horror. It doesn't have to be the same. Okay, okay. so this makes me casually optimistic about it because I remember first seeing that teaser trailer, which you, you see a lot in that teaser trailer. Sure, maybe too much. But although there might be various reveals in it, too. Right. But I sometimes wonder, too, when the internet gets real whipped up in a tizzy, like, oh, it showed too much. This is spoilery. Right. I think, too, now, and Blumhouse is actually very good about this, is we know how the internet reacts, right? So even though we know that the internet's going to get mad, it's sort of like you can manipulate your audience. Like by showing everyone's just like, oh, it showed, it revealed too much. Sure. Maybe it didn't at all. Yeah. Maybe we just there's, saw things that... But there's probably various reveals of that movie. Yeah. And they just happen to do the most obvious one. Right. I agree. There, because sometimes you can you can see things in trailers that you're like, oh, and then there's going to be this character right. and that character, but it's just the way it's cut, and it's not that way at all. Right. And they set up that there's a skulls like secret society that is picking off all of these girls, fronted by I, what appears to be Carrie Elwes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Maybe it's like the cult of Billy. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was wow. kind of thinking oh, today the when sons we were rewatching of Agnes. it. Oh my <laughs> god, I love it. Well, back to the show. <laughs> so uh, Chris has her big showdown, and she ends up in the cellar. Yes, where she sees Peter peering in, peering in, yeah. awfully yeah. suspiciously. I might add. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah. I agree. For somebody who's innocent, yeah, <laughs> I know it is. It is funny. Like even though he is set up to take the fall as yeah. the red herring here, he kind of does some pretty like yeah. suspicious things. Yes. So maybe, maybe in the long run. He got what was coming to him. True. Because he, he comes... <laughs> There's probably numerous bodies in this guy's closet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All because he, he hit a wrong note or went sharp on the piano. Right. Um, we don't really know what happened to the piano teachers, honestly. This, this is true. Yeah. 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 All those judges that like didn't accept him into their program or whatever. I love that those guys like wore super official robes to be the only ones in the room with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Peter comes kicking into the basement uh, because he hears Jess's screams. And she, because she's being attacked, is suspicious yeah. that he is actually the murderer. Yes. 
As would I. Even though she kind of already was put kind of two and two together when she was like, it couldn't have been him on the phone because he was... Except once the once the message comes, the calls mm-hmm. were coming from inside the house, it automatically puts Peter back, back into, into it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the whole thing that she was saying was that he was here. He was yeah. at the house already. So, he but now the house walks from there. upstairs yeah. where he claims yeah. that he was taking a nap, which right. is really weird. Also weird. Right. Yeah. He is very suspicious. Yeah. And Jess, while in the middle of being chased by the killer, sees him and just assumes that it's him. Yeah. Uh, As probably I would, too. Well, yeah, of course. So then John Saxon pulls up to discover that Jess has gone to town on Peter. (laughs) I love how they position Olivia Hussey in that scene. It's like like the... Uh, the uh, that uh, that Jesus pet statue, you know the one. Oh yeah, the Pieta. The Pieta yeah. Sure, yeah. and she also played Mary too. Oh, <laughs> she played she played Mary and uh, a made for TV Jesus of Nazarene from the eighties. Sounds right. Yep. Interesting. Well, so John Saxon, what he comes barging in? Yeah. Oh my goodness. And she she is cradling. I assume the dead body. Right. Yeah. 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 That's what I took. And then they haul her upstairs and tuck her in. Leave her alone in the house, too. Yeah, I'm not going to say that this police force is not great. But they're like, <laughs> yeah, not the best. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it ends ambiguously, right? It ends with the f- another phone call. Another phone call. That you right. can hear. And then we have a crane shot of Claire's dead face in right. the window. They still haven't found Claire. I know <laughs> they didn't search yeah. this house and go up in, into the attic. No, and that's well, that, I, and that's what sets us up. Where like they, because Claire's dad faints from shock, so they all rush outside. And there's that like one lone right. kind of like lame sauce officer on the on the um, on the patio, mm-hmm. but he's outside when the phone starts ringing, and Jess is just sleeping alone in the dark. So. I mean, wouldn't this entire house be a crime scene at this point? Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Get at least search there. the attic. Yeah. Give her one of those, like, police-issue blankets. Put her to sleep in the back of some car. I don't know. What's going on in the Saskatchewan? Yeah. <laughs> or wherever in Canada. This was they, they just don't have enough... Uh, they just don't have enough bad shit going on in that town to, like... To really a, think about yeah, it. Yeah, to have a police force that knows what they're doing. But, yeah. I think this movie was shot outside of Toronto, I oh, think. okay. Mm. Interesting. So in the province of Ontario? Ontario, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh did she have the baby? Who's to say? <laughs> well, she probably miscarried it with, yeah, as with much all these that she's frights. running around <laughs> yeah. in the last act of this movie. True. Yeah. Well, I mean, save her a trip. Oh. <laughs> Dark. So yeah, so that was Black Christmas. Oh boy. I mean, I still do feel like for the most part, general public, it is still very kind of not underground, but you know, a little bit more of a like niche. People that movie. know about film always know about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, true. But definitely. your random person off the street, the unwashed mashes usually have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. But it is so it is so foundational for so mm-hmm. many things yes. that follow. And I think if anything, we we owe it a debt of honor. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think it has, like, it's got that repeated viewing quality that we often talk about on this show. Uh, And it's got those elements of these female characters that draw us to it. And you kind of have your archetype of the horror final girl, too. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, again, there can be entire podcasts dedicated to just this movie and it's, you know, uh, what it contributed to the horror genre in general. Um, the idea of gay men latching onto these horror movies, um, all of that. What our show does is just kind of talk about why we watch these movies over and over again and what it was that drew us to them. And a lot of times it's these women. It's these, these female characters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, Movies with a strong female lead, as Netflix would uh, would say, and just something that made us as kids identify with these mostly girls, you know, and and watch them over and over again. And maybe maybe little straight boys weren't as drawn to these movies the way we were. Well, there's been a lot made and discussed about the connection to Final Girls, yeah, with um within our community because get, it, there is for queer horror fans a draw to the final girl. Yeah. And ultimately it does come down in many ways to the idea that in these movies, they often represent a different kind of otherness. Cause mm-hmm. usually the queer connection to otherness, people always want to talk about the Frankenstein monster or the creature right. from the back lagoon, <laughs> but otherness manifests in, in a lot of different ways. And the idea that sometimes it's just, someone who feels like a little outside of a group. Right. Lori is a great example in, in Halloween because even though she is with the popular girls, you can see in the narrative that she does not feel completely part of right. them. And it's sort of like they're sexual, they're party girls, and she just wants to belong. Yeah. And then ultimately the thing that sets her apart on the night that it all goes down is what helps her survive. Right. And so when you're looking at it through the lens of a little gay kid, uh, and, and we feel that kind of kinship to powerful women because women also know what it is to be subjugated right. by society. Right. And we can kind of project upon uh, them because we didn't have queer icons, but seeing someone just trying to survive to make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like everything in the world is against them because it's not just really ultimately the killer uh, in a lot of these movies, it's it's the environment around them, the boyfriend mm-hmm. who doesn't believe you, the friends who leave, that all of these things. So that like, who's left at the end of the day? It's you, and you have right. to survive. And and I think that we as gay men understand that. Yeah. And all of this goes on in this movie with Jess too. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. We cracked it. We yeah. cracked it. It's the last episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have to no, talk and, about it anymore. And that was it. I was I was more speaking generally. Like I used yeah. Lori as an example. No, for but sure. Like it yes. does. It does apply more so to um, all the final girls. I, I always laugh when people talk about Nightmare on Elm Street two and yeah. say it's the gay one. I'm like, no, they're yeah, all the they're gay all one the... because mm-hmm. in the first movie, Nancy, quite literally, when no one else believes her, has to take matters into her own hands. To save the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In parts four and five, it's all about when the world doesn't listen to you, you have to turn to your community and draw strength from that. Yeah. That's all. The, that's, yeah. that's queer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, I feel like this this movie is just it's just another example in a long line of these movies. And, and not every movie that we talk about on this show is a horror movie. You know, no. a lot of them are comedies. And um, but. Even the comedies have to do with these women, these female characters that kind of have to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and just kind of like make their way, you know, in the world. And But it is a lot of this, those same ideas, right. you know, that we're talking about here. I love that. Yeah. And yeah, it's just that one thing about these these movies that like 
little straight boys weren't watching, you know, these movies over and over again. I mean, maybe some of them were. There was a reason why 20-year-old Scott tracked this movie down after I could find it available nowhere that I had to ship in my copy from Canada. Yeah, but you're like, I will find that movie. But I I will find this movie. (laughs) And you did, and now we have, and now we can watch uh, (laughs) Andrea Martin and... I would like the new Shout Factory transfer of this, though. Yeah, for sure. I bet that it looks really nice. It is awesome. Actually, how they did it, too, is even though they did a 2K restoration, they kept the film grain in. Oh, cool. So it keeps that sort Love of that. aesthetic that it has. Because, yeah. you know, some of the the restorations, mm-hmm. they clean them up too much. Yeah. But this movie, I think, sort of benefits from a little bit of darkness. That's good. Uh, and there is a fun thing on the Shout Factory uh, remastering that they have an audio track. Um with Nick Mancuso, who is one of the voices of Billy in the film. He does a commentary track as Billy <laughs> 40 years later. Oh uh, and <laughs> How long did you last? I made it about 20 minutes. It. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating, though, because it's, it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know if it's intentionally funny, but he, get, he gets sort of the absurdity of it. Right. And they have him, and he's like, you know, he, he breathes. <laughs> and like he just kind of like says things. Oh, there's my, there's my Margot Kidder. <laughs> oh my god! And it, but just like listening to that voice, yeah. Because Billy doesn't have really a defined character, so he's right? just sort mm-hmm. of like someone there was genius enough to ask him to do it. It is but smart. Then it's just yeah. the idea of 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 making it happen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the execution. When you're actually watching it, you're like, and I'll go back to the regular audio <laughs> <laughs> right about now. Wow, that was awesome. Um. That was really great. Thank you. Thank you for So do me. you want to tell us a little bit? I know that you just finished up with the Dracula season. Yes. So uh, you direct episodes of Dracula. I do. That's amazing. We are big fans of Dracula here. Boulet thank Brothers, you, you. We love season three all of those girls. Yeah. Season three was great. And um, I, I love what they did with the cast this season. Um, they we, really took the show. You really got. You guys really took the show to the next level with it. Especially how you put all of them together uh so i will say uh i came into the show for the third season so the Mm -hmm. third season was the first season that i I worked on which is now available on netflix correct yes uh but i had been talking to the boulets uh off and on because i i'm i've sort of been involved in the world of horror as well as the world of queer horror for Mm -hmm. most of my professional career and then uh my day job is also movies too i do a lot of tv movie stuff but um the Boulets and I met through a mutual acquaintance, and every episode of Dragula opens with sort of a horror vignette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And originally they had talked to me, you know, when we come back for season three, we would like to have someone who actually has done horror movies to mm-hmm. write our vignettes and help us with that. And I was always like, cool, cool. Like, well, it was sort of like one of those. I was like, whenever you get it together, let me know. And yeah. as you know, how it, this was a couple years ago. Wow. And, and the gap between two and three was quite a while, too. It was. It was at least two years, I think. And I, um, as with most meetings that happen in the industry, like, I like them and I knew them socially. But I just kind of was like, if it happens, it happens. Right. And if it doesn't, sure. it doesn't. And then uh, they called me and were, they were like, hey, so uh, we're going to do this. But, like... <laughs> More than just the uh, the intros, we would like to bring you in uh, to help out, both as a writer for like you know the things that we say and things, mm-hmm. but also in the in the direction. So I, I ended up becoming the show's sole writer, uh, as well as one of only two directors this season. Wow! So uh, and it was a great journey. It was a lot of work, um, yeah. but yeah. what an amazing team! Uh, the and I always. 
I'm a, I'm as much of a fan of it as anyone else because the show does hinge upon the performers that we invite to compete. Yeah, and that's the chaos element. So yeah. like, even though we know what we're what the setup is and what the challenges are and what the extin- exterminations are, when they walk out we don't know what they're going to be wearing or what they're going to be doing until we see them. Right. So it's like, it is, it's cool to work on a show that you can like spend 14, 15, 17, 18, nearly 20 hours in a day on, go home and pass out. (laughs) And then when it's on Netflix, not be tired of it to sit down and be like, I want to sit and watch this too, because I remember this moment or because I was so busy shooting XYZ, I was not down in the boudoir while the competitors are all talking to each other. Right. And so, like, I want to know, like, what led to this choice. So it's a really cool process to be part of. Um, I know that we have some plans and schemes uh, for the next season when when uh, and if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to be ambiguous about it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So that means a- that you all should go to... Netflix and watch it. Yes. So you increase their numbers. Thank you. Yes. Please tune in. It's something you can do with your family this holiday season. <laughs> Gather around on Christmas Eve and um, watch and Dragula. Then, and then the boules will come down your chimney Ooh. and leave you something Ooh. <laughs> horrifying. Did uh, you get to meet Danielle Harris when she yes. w- was a guest? Uh, yes, I did. Um, she she was one of the guest judges. She and Rachel True from The Craft were g- guest judges on our Halloween episode. They were a good panel. And I, uh, I actually spent a lot of time with all of the, the guest judges mm-hmm. because um, everybody who came in for the day would sort of have to like understand what like the whole breakdown was. Yeah. And um, it's not as easy to judge a show as, as one would think because you have to kind of like issue your thoughts yeah. in a succinct way instead of being like giving very long answers. So it I was spent, to cut together really nice. Yeah, so yeah. I would spend a lot of time and I was a judge this season as well, which was also a uh, yes. a um a learning curve for me because yeah. after I did my episode then I could sit with Danielle and say, "All right, right. here's what I learned and what will be easier for you." Yeah. But she's awesome. She's so cool. Uh what I really like about her is she came in and like literally took the assignment super seriously right because um and this is everyone was wonderful i didn't there was not really a bad judge in in the batch but it's funny because some people would come in and initially would like well i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings right so they would say they would they would kind of like ease into it whereas danielle's like well my job and what i was asked her to do is this and like the first person out she's like you could have done this better and (laughs) And it was awesome and it's like and she came from those are always the best yeah judges to watch on drag race are the guest judges that have like a point of view well, and give them feedback too. That's why you want those people there because right. obviously it is inferred by inviting someone to the show that they are in some way an expert of one of the four tenets of Dragula, which is horror, filth, glamour, or drag. Mm-hmm. And so if, if someone is invited to be a judge, it's because they know something about that in some capacity. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, and the competitors all really, really um, seem seem to respond well to the judgment too, because right. they know what it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Bonnie Aaron's from the Nun. Super cool. She was one of my yeah. favorite judges. This uh, season. One of my one of my <laughs> favorite uh, judges to kind of like watch go through the process was Millie Shapiro from. Oh Hereditary, right. Uh, because she uh, was such a huge Dragula fan. Oh, awesome. Which was like super cool to see. <laughs> but she. Um, her episode was Hospital of Horrors, mm-hmm. and um, she's very interested in blood splatter. 
Right. And she talks about it on the air. She like, was super particular yeah. about yeah. that. And she was, that was and amazing. It, there was, it's like, it's kind of awesome. And you see it. On, I'm like, not, I'm not telling any tale or anything that I shouldn't because you yeah. literally see it on the episode. Yeah. When Millie talks to one of the competitors about the way the blood hits the dress, you can yeah. kind of see that particular uh, queen be like, oh. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. And isn't she pretty young too? Yeah. She's, so 16. she's like, okay, yeah. 16 year old. But it yeah. made yeah. perfect sense. Mm-hmm. When she explained it, you're just like, Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, she's super cool. I know it was a great experience and a real gift to be part of. I've gotten to do some really awesome stuff in my career and uh being part of this and and seeing like the fan base. Yeah. Uh you know, cuz I I I've been very fortunate that I've made a lot of things that have played in different places and on on television. And they've got, you know, their followers. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a working writer. I don't pretend to be anything other than a working right. writer, working filmmaker. Uh, you know, I, I I have to go to the grocery store myself, all that kind of But working on a show that people are so intense about, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a new experience for me in the way that, like, you log on to the internet uh, and the second an episode would drop all yeah. of a sudden you're like, boom, 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 <laughs> it, it, it almost got to the point where i was like i get why a lot of people don't use the internet yeah. and i'm not even like half involved with like that conversation as right. the boulets themselves or or the competitors it was just awesome to see because that community is so excited yeah and to be involved in something like that is great yeah well being uh situated in la we've been uh fans of landon for a long time and we were we i first remember seeing landon at our local gay bar here at the boulevard in here Pasadena. At the boulevard, and Ooh, we saw yeah. landon do uh adam lambert yeah and that was the first time i'd ever had seen a drag king that polished and i remember being blown away he's super awesome yeah, yeah. and also so nice it's funny because right before i came over here to uh do this episode i posted uh something about nightmare 2 in my ironically enough in Mm -hmm. my instagram feed and uh landon and i were talking back and forth about it um he's great i mean he's out there kicking butt honestly i think that the 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 only disservice if there was one that happens when you watch reality television is that um people fall into to archetypes of which humans actually right. aren't. Mm-hmm. So like people are like, choose the villain. They choose the this. They choose the that. But what I will say is that every single cast member of Dragula this season brought something sensational. Yeah. yeah. And so, and like, and, uh, and behind the scenes, like what you don't see uh, or what wasn't communicated is how loving they all are. Oh, sure. I mean, if that's communicated. Yeah. You can see they all pulled together. Yeah. But it's just sort of like, it, it's just like, I was proud of them. Yeah. It was, it was just like so cool. I like, you know, I remember when we shot, I, I directed, I directed Landon's crowning. Okay. And, um, I remember being on set with the final three and it was just, I remember even thinking, cause we don't, we don't know when we're shooting it, which one right. is going to win. But I remember thinking to myself, I, I'm so stoked for all, all three of them because they all in different ways really communicated oh, for sure. what this, this is. So yeah, it was a strong, strong final three. Yeah, this season, loved them all. Wow, that was awesome. That was some backstage, uh, backstage knowledge on Dracula. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that. Cool, cool. Do you have anything upcoming that you want to talk about? 
Uh, that you can talk about? <laughs> sure. Um, I yeah, I stay very busy. Uh, I recently just did a horror short uh, that was released to the Deku streaming platform called A Halloween Trick, which is a gay slasher piece Ooh. that I did uh, okay. exclusively for them. And that dropped on October 30th, but is out there for people to see. You can also watch it on Prime through the, through the Deku app there. Um, I did just find out that a Killer Nanny movie I wrote for Lifetime is debuting on uh, LMN on November 30th. Wow. It's called The Twisted Nanny. I wrote it as The Night Nanny. They changed the title. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's about a woman who watches a group of children while the mom has to do overnight shifts and her nefarious schemes to steal them for herself. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of my surprise thing that I'm promoting because I didn't know we were dropping it so soon. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, next next week, well, for, as of this time of recording, but it will have already aired by the time this airs. Um, and then I am doing a live show in San Francisco with Peaches Christ. Uh, that will air, that will actually happen the day after this. So this is December 13th, mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, on December 14th, if you're in San Francisco, Peaches and I co-wrote a drag parody of Gremlins called <gasps> Femlins uh, uh. with Detox and Ms. Cracker and Fifi O'Hara. Uh. That's so great. I love that. And uh, it will be at the Castro Theater. We're doing a 3 p.m. and an 8 p.m. So uh, if you're listening to this and you live in the Bay, please come Who say hello. Who gets to hello. play the lady gremlin? <laughs> Who's Greta? Uh, no, this Fifi. Is- Beefy, oh, yeah. Even okay, though it's, I can see even that, even though it's the first, and one. she did okay. the Lady Gremlin on her 365 Days of Drag yeah, too, so that makes sense. Awesome. Yep. Uh, and so that that will be happening. And then I had written a uh, for the to bring it back to a holiday horror. Mm-hmm. I wrote a a segment of the upcoming holiday horror anthology, Death December. Okay, uh, which was 24 international filmmakers. We all kind of like an ABCs of Death thing. We sure. all did. It's an advent calendar, and each of us did a day. Oh, love it! And my story is called All Sales Fatal about a woman who tries to return <laughs> a package at the gift exchange counter and doesn't have the receipt. Oh, what shit. happens uh, with that? And it stars Tiffany Shepis, who is a very popular uh, scream queen. Uh, horror icon um, Ryan Fisher, who was recently on American Horror Story, and Jeffrey Reddick, who created Final Destination. They're all in it. Wow. Uh, so I've got that. And yeah, just lots of stuff coming up. Watch Dragula on Netflix. Uh, a lot of my old stuff is out there. I have written a lot of Lifetime holiday movies that air in regular rotation. Check your lo- local listings. <laughs> um, they all have Christmas in the title. You'll forget them by the time I, uh, by the time you stop listening. So just IMDb it. So. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Wow, that's great! Thank you, thank look, you. Look up our guest, Michael Variety, guys. Uh, do you, would you like to plug your social media? Or? Yeah, um, <laughs> my social media. The best place to follow me is on Twitter because that's where I'm the most active. It's at Michael Variety. That's V is in Victor A R R A T I. It's also I also uh, I'm on Instagram, same name. I also host the podcast Dead for Filth, the podcast for all things queer, horror, and beyond, Yay. where we sit once a week with somebody and talk to them uh, about their journey in horror. I've had people from all across the industry come and share their stories with me. We're currently on hiatus, but we'll be back in 2020. So you can follow us wherever podcasts are found and at Dead for Filth on Twitter and Instagram. I've done that a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> Work. That's awesome. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Um, well, we would love it if you would rate and review our show. Give us five stars. Yeah, yeah. Go to iTunes and give us five stars. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Movies That Made Us Gay. We're also on Twitter at MTMUG Pod. That's Movies That Made Us Gay Pod. Drop us a line. Drop us a line on Instagram. Send us a message if you have any movies that you would like us to review. We're getting to the end of the year. Yes, we are. We're sort of wrapping up season one. That's crazy. Yes, indeed. 
our little show, our yeah. tacky little show. Tacky We've little show, this like in almost 30 episodes now. <laughs> yeah, wow. Thanks for We've only been doing this everybody. since like May. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, we just started. Um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on our show one last time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. Bye.